Major support for Carolina Business Review is provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax, audit, and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Novant Health, bringing you world-class technology, clinicians, and care when and where you need it. And Sunoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Notwithstanding politics, the emotion of optimism right now is probably the most predominant and is bubbling up even more during the promise of spring that we're staring down. And it certainly doesn't hurt that there are overt displays of very robust commercial and construction activity here in our region, which of course then leads to a general sense of continued better times just ahead. Welcome again to the longest running and the most widely watched source of Carolina business policy and public affairs. I am Chris William and as we do each week on this program, we will look at those issues that are most challenging to us, some good, some concerning, but all worth discussing. And later on, the mayor of the largest city in the Carolinas, Vi Lyles from Charlotte. Gratefully acknowledging support by Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina. Please visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, David Bradley from the Statesville Chamber of Commerce, Karen Kadrowski of Winthrop University, and special guest, Charlotte Mayor Phi Lyles. Hello, welcome to our showgram, uh, showgram show. Uh, happy spring, David. Good to have you here, Karen. Thank nice you. To see you. Good to Very see good you, to Chris. be here. Thank uh, you, uh, guys. I want to bring this up because this has been one of these issues that that run in the background, run in the foreground. Transportation and infrastructure, roads and building and bridges, and I know I mean you know, it, it belabors the fact. But David, I want to start with you. A couple sure. of weeks ago on this program, I was the CEO of Martin Marietta Materials, and they make aggregate basically and own a lot of quarries that pull stone out of the ground and make these roads that are in the Carolinas. Right. And what Ward Nide said is he said we really need to think differently about the funding formula for infrastructure development and deployment. Those are my words, but he was he was very particular about finding another way to fund infrastructure and transportation. Is is that the key? Uh I think it's even more, I think it's even more basic than that, Chris. I think we have to. Many of us, particularly in in rural communities or minor minorly urban communities like Statesville, to some degree, Rock Hill, we have to think differently about infrastructure and transportation modes as they are. We are, we've already heard that uh, the uh, North Carolinas and South Carolinas major cities might double in size by the year 2030. Mm -hmm. There's not enough pavement, there's not enough aggregate to pave all the roads we're gonna need if we're gonna rely on highway transportation to get to and from Charlotte. Uh, but obviously we've gotta figure out how to pay for that. We've gotta rethink what we think of transportation, but we have to figure out creative ways to pay for it because we can't rely on the state government or the federal government to just simply, it, there's not enough money to do it. So 
whether it's revenue bonds or, uh, gosh, you know, we've already seen a, an uproar over the uh, managed managed lanes mm -hmm. uh, in uh, yeah, on I-77. But uh, uh, it, we've got to come up with some type of a creative plan and articulate that creative plan. We also have to have, and perhaps that's part of the job of perhaps a chamber, is to be able to educate folks about the opportunities and the barriers that keep us from, or the, oppor the opportunities that we have, but the barriers that keep us from jumping into those opportunities. We cannot rely on the state government in its existing form. So Kieran, let me bring you into this, because South Carolina did something pre pretty unique over a decade ago mm -hmm. and said, you know, Rock Hill is in the, yep. is in the, front, uh, the front yard of Charlotte. They didn't wait for the legislature to do anything. They decided they were going to use a thing called Pennies for Progress. Pennies for Progress, yes. And sir. just expand and blow out I-77 as far as they mm -hmm. could. And here they are, South Carolina, upstate South Carolina, Rock Hill, look like geniuses because they did it so early. Is well, that what that takes? And, and we did that at, uh, in the context of no political will to raise the gas tax. And that finally happened last year. So as the infrastructure elsewhere in the state is badly deteriorating and state legislators are saying things like, use your GPS to avoid the potholes. Uh, York <laughs> County, which I don't think is the way the GPS has yeah. really worked, uh, but York County and, and a few other counties chose to tax themselves. This was an ongoing tax referendum and voters voted several times. And we have seen the benefits of that. Our roads are in great condition and are really built for the future. Now, having said that, I also think that any sort of comprehensive uh, transportation plan for areas as big and booming as the Charlotte region is going to need to include public transit. So Rock Hill is now looking at having a local bus system, but also there's considerable interest in having better connection to the Charlotte region, um, whether it's light rail or buses or something like that. Um, th uh, public transit um, makes transportation and connects communities um, in a way that that cars don't and it is certainly more accessible to people irrespective mm -hmm. of income level and that that's a that's a tide that raises all boats mm -hmm. uh, I think that I think typically we've tried to we have been in a mode for the last several decades of trying to solve yesterday's problems today mm -hmm. uh, uh, we've I got do. to begin yeah. to look at what does 2030 look like so that we can begin to solve those problems funding mechanisms have to be new Could, funding mechanisms. Okay, have so to be David, Iredell County, perfect example. We take the the pennies for progress idea. Could Iredell County say, we're not going to wait for the state general assembly. We're going to raise our own money. We're going to make I-77, I-40, just juggernauts, and the bandwidth will be huge, and we are going to fund it. Could you sell that? It, it would have to try. First, it do has to be approved. You have an appetite within I, the county to do that. There's more of an appetite now than there would have been five years ago because you only have to be on 77 long enough before you realize that You'll we have vote, an issue. Yes. We've got to figure yeah. out a, a yeah. way to get around it. Uh, but it has to. We've got to get the approval through the general assembly in order to even begin to think about pennies for progress. But pennies for progress has been a wonderful, uh, a, a, a wonderful indicator of what we can be. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you know, you talk about the Charlotte region, but it's, you think about Dorchester County, Charleston County, already choking on yes. that. Yeah. So, Karen, is this, are we going to see, would you predict that we are going to see some unique funding model for the, the low country to do this before it becomes 
a crisis they situation. are certainly ready for it and uh, the low country is also um, you know was supportive of the gas tax long before the rest of the state came along and you know desperate desperate times call for desperate measures right mm -hmm. um, so I would not be the least bit surprised if they follow the the York County lead uh, because again they they need to improve their roads mm -hmm. and there's there are significant infrastructure problems throughout the state uh, NC State's uh, Institute for Emerging Issues David said that asked the question and it was a broad survey and said, what is the biggest issue in the state that you're concerned about? And at the top of the list came in rural urban divide. It's mm -hmm. not going to be a surprise to you. Right. But we talk about that's another one we talk about these broad platitudes without real clarity. And there is a reason there's an urban core and there's a reason that there's rural rolling countryside. So my question is, how do we approach this with the respectability that one actually is country and is not going to have the same growth area and another one's density is much higher? So how do we balance what uh, what the rural urban divide is supposed to be? Oh, what a great question. Uh, I, I, I believe, I, we've got to talk. We've, we, we've lived, I think, in, in this state, and it's probably in every state, for all practical purposes, islands unto ourselves. And we're delighted to have Mayor Lyles in front of us today. And we're going to talk a little bit, or perhaps we will, about regionality. 20 years ago, we didn't talk about regionality. We talked about Charlotte, or we thought Statesville or, or Rock Hill were islands unto ourselves. We just have to communicate about what our collective assets are, because rural Iredell County does provide an asset to, to Charlotte's growth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what the vehicles will be that will, will help us bridge that gap, but we've got to get people to the table to, rec to have conversations. Yeah. Uh, Karen, specific to South Carolina, I want to get this in, and we seem to talk about this every week, and I know there's a, head, there's a new headline every day in South Carolina about SCANA, about Santee Cooper, about the solvency of the utility system. Uh, will, will that, what Sean Massey in the legislature called a debacle, will the SCANA debacle eclipse this year's fall elections in South Carolina? Um, I think it is going to be an issue, especially in those parts of the state that are covered by SCANA. Uh, where the SCG&E and SCANA customers are. Uh, those, those people have been paying for a long time, paying in advance for a nuclear power plant that is not going to be there to provide power for them. And, uh, and the issue is really complicated and there's a lot of names getting thrown around and things like that, but it's already percolating into the Republican primary. Just um, this week we had John Warren, uh, who's one of the GOP candidates for governor in South Carolina come in and was making the whole SCANA debacle a, um, a campaign issue and saying that he wants to fire the boards and nobody else is talking about that because they are taking donations from the energy sector. Is there, will the constituents be responsive to that type of discussion? I, I think that it could resonate, especially since um, there is no clear path forward um, that definitely and, and definitively allows for refunds or some sort of rate relief for the yeah. customers that have been affected. Okay, <laughs> won't be the first time you're asked that question. No. I'm sure, probably the last time. Uh, stay with us, uh, we're gonna meet our guests in just a moment. Coming up next week on this program, uh, it's hard not to like the Atlantic Coast Conference. Doesn't matter if you're a football or basketball, soccer, lacrosse, uh, baseball fan. The Atlantic Coast Conference has a certain 
uh, brand to it. And that brand as it tends to be or tends to think of itself as a premier conference in this country in, in collegiate sports. Our guest will be ACC Commissioner John Swafford will be back on this program. And then also coming up in June, the governor of the state of North Carolina, the Honorable Roy Cooper, will also be a guest on this program. In last year's election, our guest in general was seen most to be most likely an effective convener of the most concerning issues to the electorate in the Charlotte region. Housing, affordable housing, equal access, fair policing, better economic mobility, etc. Joining us now is the Mayor of Charlotte, the Honorable Vi Lyles. Uh, Madam Mayor, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. Um, Your Honor, you have been in, and I want to go over a little bit old ground here. So you've been in city administration in Charlotte. You were an analyst around uh, finance and budget. Mm -hmm. You were on city council. Uh, before that, you've been a community activist. You were the out outreach person for the 2012 Democratic National Convention in Charlotte. So you, uh, you clearly have got some DNA in the region, uh, <laughs> Madam Mayor. When you won the job, became mayor, what was most surprising to you that you never saw coming? Well, I could talk about a few things. Like I didn't know that we'd be talking about our football team. Um, and that, that was a surprise for me, and that came very early in my first few weeks of um, serving as mayor. I think, though, the most surprising in a way that's really great is the um, Charlotte is on the national map. Um, we talk about our growth and our opportunities, and we know our challenges, but most people just see us as an economic engine in this region. And that's what surprised me the most. Does, and, and let me ask you something about that. Not to rehash HB2 or Amendment 1 or any of the social issues that really blew up and were very, very hot buttons mm -hmm. in the Charlotte area. But was, was the fact that, as you described Char the Charlotte region as people see it nationally and don't necessarily see it as a, as a socially, I'm not going to say crippled, but socially challenged region, was that not part of the brand anymore? I think that um, oftentimes people will acknowledge the challenges that we've had around HB2 and the consequences that we had, intended and unintended consequences. But this election was about change. And when you look at our new council with having six people that would be described under the age of 40 as millennials, when you talk about the um, opportunity that I had to run and win as the first African-American woman mayor of Charlotte, I think that's what made them sit up and pay attention. It's that we've got different demographics, we've got um, the issues of growth, and we are basically a city that's being considered progressive. Now, you know, progressive relative is a relative term. I don't think that Charlotte would be as progressive as you would say something like a Los Angeles mm -hmm. or even some of the other cities in the Northeast. But we are seen as a solid example of good management, strong finances, and opportunity for people. Mm -hmm. David. Mayor, thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. We're delighted thank to have you, you as, a, as, a, as a mayor for uh, North Carolina's largest city. How do you think that we are working collaboratively regionally and what could we be doing better? Well, I would say that um, the day that I was sworn in, it was a Monday. On Tuesday, I flew to Washington meet, to meet with every member of our delegation. And you know, most of those members are 
Republicans. And I wanted them to know that we're about a city that's going to collaborate and work with everyone. I then went to Wilmington and met with all of the mayors of large cities and said the same thing. If we're going to be out here, we're going to want you with us. And if you need us, we'll be there for you as well. And then going to the state, I went to Raleigh in about a week. So um, I logged a lot of miles that first <laughs> month. But the message is the same consistently, that we're going to work together with every level of government, and we're going to still have our values, and we're still going to work on the things that we are, are important to our community, but we're going to do that in a way that we work with everyone. Mm. Can, can I jump in on mm -hmm. that? So to what degree does your, your vision for, um, you know, regional and larger collaboration include the communities along the border in South Carolina? Well, you know, it's um, tough to have the one state of North <laughs> Carolina and to say um, we're going to add another state. But actually, we're going to add two, three. I mean, it's going to be South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia. All of these things are really important when you look at Atlanta, and you look at Charlotte and Raleigh, and then let's go to D.C. These are the kinds of things we have to think about for the future. But besides the fact that I grew up in Columbia, <laughs> my brothers run a small business down there, and Steve Benjamin <laughs> is the incoming mayor of the National um, Conference of Mayors. And he, and he is actually out a lot. And because we're so close, we have the opportunity to talk about issues, and we're going to continue to build those relationships in South Carolina. Our city um, and our airport is an important tool mm -hmm. for the 17 counties in our region, and that includes a number in, in South Carolina. And we're always going to be working in a regional way to attract businesses that bring good-paying jobs to the region. But I want to say one other thing. I, I, I've talked about this. One of the beliefs that I have is that if we can create transportation options that will move for the future freight and the goods that are going to be necessary for us to be successful as a region, then we're going to have to look at Wilmington to Charlotte and eventually Charlotte to Asheville in our own state way. But the connections, when we think about how do we get um, people to get to Atlanta, they're going to go from Charlotte to Greenville, Spartanburg, and Atlanta. We have to think that way to be successful. Mm -hmm. With all due respect to Paul Coza and the North Carolina Wilmington port, doesn't it make sense to consider the South Carolina port a, a primary and the North Carolina port a secondary, especially as you described it, Mayor, with the idea that Charlotte Douglas is this huge hub of, mm -hmm. of transportation. And it would seem like it's already in place and there are already plenty of activity moving between the, the Charleston port and, and the Charles, Charlotte port. You're, you're right. It is an important aspect for us to continue, but you also have Savannah. And so when you start thinking about those three ports and how we move freight, we have a company located in Charlotte, Advanced Manufacturing, um, that builds huge turbines. And they ship out from Charleston. Almost all of those products go overseas now. And so when we're thinking about what do we build, how do we build, we have to consider everything. I, I believe that instead of creating competition among ourselves, we ought to be doing collaboration and grow ourselves, all of us together. So we can have Charleston, Savannah, and Wilmington. We just need to attract the right industries, 
to come and use them all. In, uh, there's a lot of chatter about Democrats and women being mobilized and activated now over the last 12, 18, and 24 months in politics in general. And what's, what's kind of unique is in North Carolina, the fourth, four largest cities in the state, Mm -hmm. Charlotte, Raleigh, Greensboro, Asheville, right. Democratic female mayors. Aren't we great? <laughs> <laughs> and modest. That's, that's, that's true. That's true. What, do, what do you think that says? Oh, it says that Nancy and Nancy and Esther and I work really hard. <laughs> but what it really says is that I think the voters are looking for our skill sets. And I don't think our skill sets are necessarily built around gender. I think when you look at the um, four mayors that you've talked about, look at the strength of our resumes, basically. I think we could get employed if we just apply. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. We applied to be a part of this. But we're speaking up around issues that resonate in our communities. I don't think we could be here today without that. And yes, there's a, something special about being able to pick up the phone and call Nancy and say what's going on. When the Amazon list came out, I called Nancy and I said, what can I do to make that successful mm -hmm. for you? What can Charlotte do to make it successful for Raleigh? That's the kind of relationship we're building. That's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would say it, it, we're delighted to have female mayors. I, I, I don't look at you as a, as a female mayor. I look at you as a mayor who brings, as a mayor who brings intelligence and civility. And that's a blessing to, to be able to have in our, in our state. And well, I appreciate that's that. what you bring. I appreciate that. I, I do believe the resumes are very strong. And I think that um, we talked earlier, um, your leadership skills have to fit in the time that it, they're needed. And I think in this time and this place, we're going on a task to build a great city and a great region and a great state. Right. And I hope by being able to contribute to that with the Charlotte City Council, we'll take care of some things at home as well as the things that will make our states, both of our states, better. Mm -hmm. right. sure. better. Well, and I was certainly going to say that diversity matters. Um, and yeah. actually, there's, there's a lot of uh, growing evidence from the business world that diverse groups are actually more effective and more productive than those that are not diverse. Yeah. Uh, because people think about questions differently and are able to come up with more creative solutions to common problems. Uh, but I think that, you know, um, Madam Mayor here exemplifies something else that we see in political science literature about women in politics, which is that the qualified candidates are out there. Women mm -hmm. often need to be encouraged to run because they don't think of it themselves, but when they do run, they win at the same rate as do similarly situated mm -hmm. men. So women incumbents win at the same rate as men incumbents. Women challengers win at the same rate as male challengers. And women in, running in open seat races um, run at the, or win at the same rate as men do in open seat mm -hmm. races. And there's no gendered uh, disadvantage in fundraising mm -hmm. either. So um, I hope that that helps to encourage more women to run for office. And we're seeing that nationally with uh, yes. literally record numbers of women who have declared the candidacy. And thanks, Karen. Let me, let me take that idea of politics and let, let's leverage it into the Republican National Convention. Oh, yes. Charlotte made a bid. Has, we did. Has, and you were there in, in 2012 for the DNC. Mm -hmm. How would you place odds that Charlotte will win that bid? You know, the biggest strength that I think our application has is that we've done this before, that we know how to um, provide an excellent experience for the many thousands of people that come in, particularly um, the media. Um, when you have media mm -hmm. from all over the world coming in, 
when we had the convention in 2012, all of those folks said one of the best experiences that they had had. And so that's our strength. But we all know this is a political time and eventually the decision will be made um, not based on necessarily if we can get equal on everyone providing the things like safety and facilities and um, the ability to have 10,000 volunteers. I think considering that after that, if that playing field is level, the president eventually makes that decision for his own party. So you, and one of the things we talked about, even before you came on this program, mm -hmm. is you said you were surprised when you were invited to the White House more than once, that you were surprised <laughs> that the president, that the Trump administration takes, not takes notice of Charlotte, I don't want to say it that way, but they put some level of, uh, of waiting on what goes on in this region. Do you think that plays to the good of Charlotte being selected for this? I think it does play to the good for Charlotte. Um, while we are a democratic city and our councils, um, I'm a Democrat and our council's democratic, when you look at our state legislature and you look at our region, there are a number of, rep or those are basically majority Republican um, elected officials and the Republican party in North Carolina is very strong. I think that um, we all know that we will have blue, blue parts of our mm -hmm. state, primarily in the urban areas, but there's a lot of red, and I think that that idea of we're a purple state will make a di difference mm -hmm. in our selection. When will they make the decision? I do not know. When, it, given the history that you've had with the DNC, what are the odds that the RNC follows the DNC to a similar location and vice versa? I really can't speak to their criteria yeah. at all. Okay. I think it's basically, do you have the capacity to have a great event for the time that, and the airport's a huge part of that, right. but it's also a political decision, <laughs> okay. right. and who knows? Uh, oh, Mayor, come back, please, because we didn't <laughs> talk about economic mobility. We didn't talk about your, your big plans for the Queen yeah. City, and we want to get to those, so okay. please do come back. Thank you. Hope you will. I Thank will, you. of All course. Right. Thank you. Good to see you. Kieran, Thank welcome. You. Good to have you here. Thank David, you. always nice to have you. Thank you very much, Thank Chris. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Until next pleasure. week, I'm Chris Wooden. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review was provided by the Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Novant Health, Sunoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Business North Carolina Magazine. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.